blessing. You've encouraged my heart. Romans, Romans chapter number 7. Paul is dealing with the idea of the law of sin and death and the fact that the law used to reign in our bodies before we got saved. The law of sin and death reigned in our bodies. <clears throat> and he talks about the struggle that there is. And he begins as we get down, let's go to verse number, uh, let's go down to verse number uh, 14. And uh, he writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For that uh, what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. But now, uh, now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. It's a curious statement, isn't it? For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law. This is an important verse. I'd underline it if you're in the habit of underlining I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Father, we do pray that you would bless the message. And Lord, may you speak to our hearts and encourage us. May you instruct us in righteousness today as we take a few moments to look in your word for some things that will help us to understand your heart and your mind. Lord, we long to live in a way that is pleasing to you, that we would be faithful, that we would be uh, of the mindset of doing all that we can to be pleasing to You. Lord, when we got saved, the day that we trusted You as our Savior, something was made new inside of us. Something came alive inside of us. And there was a desire there that wasn't there before, and all of a sudden we've desired to, to, to be pleasing to You, to follow after You. Lord, we understand and we know that in the present day that we live in this world that the flesh nature still is there. It still battles and it still fights and it still tries to do uh, contrary to what would be pleasing to You. So, Father, may we learn some things from Your Word today that will be helpful to us. In this battle that we face, may we learn from it. May we be encouraged by it and strengthened by it. May we gain victory in areas in our life that are needful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was certainly a man who was conflicted as he went through his ministry. We look at Paul, and I, I, I think is one of my one of my favorite characters of Scripture. Paul wrote more Scripture than any other single human author uh, that we know of. Uh, he is responsible for more books of the Bible being written, more letters being penned. And we look at Paul, we say, "Boy, what a great Christian!" And this man endured. If you read some of his testimony in the latter part of his ministry, he talks about the fact, he said, if any man has reason to glory, I would have more reason than any of you. 
He said, I have been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been in the, in the deep uh, for days and nights, and uh, I have suffered for the cause of Christ. And he goes on and on saying all the things that he had given up. And then he says, but I count all that stuff but loss. He said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, as he began his earthly ministry, referred to him as a man who was conflicted in the flesh nature, began to work in his body and uh, would continue to try to entice him to do things contrary to the spirit that was now in him that was causing him to desire the things of the Lord. He referred to himself often as a sinner uh, that was just saved by the grace of God. As he goes through his ministry, he begins to realize the wretchedness of his own person. In fact, as he gets to the end of his ministry, he makes this statement. He said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Paul looked around and he said, out of all the sinners that I know, I'm the greatest. I'm the biggest one. Can I encourage you in this? I have found this to be so true in my life, and I believe Paul teaches this in Scripture. That the closer we get to the holiness of God in our walk with Him, in the inner man the more we see our own wretchedness, the more we see our own sinful condition. And when we begin to tolerate sin in our life and we begin to, to live under the law of sin and death again, it's simply because we have not drawn close enough to a holy God to see our wretched condition. There's a battle that goes on here, and Paul uses this verbiage as we get to uh, verse number, uh, verse number uh, 15. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And so he's dealing with these laws that are given by God. And then he says this as we get down to verse number, um, uh, verse number 17, I believe, uh, verse number 16. If then I do that which I would not, and consent unto the law, that it is good, now there is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good? Notice this. He says, I find not. These are the things that were conflicting to Paul. And he, he says in verse 21, he says, I find then a law. There's something that is, is not a theory. It's not a, a, a thought. It's not my belief. It's not my conviction. He said, this is a law. This is, this is in fact, something that every man deals with. He says, I find then a law that when I would do good... Evil is present with me. And I want to encourage you in this, and we're going to look at some things that will help us to fight this battle. But there are two, there are two factions in, at work in your life and in my life. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's something that is made alive inside of us. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. And the day that we trusted Christ as our Savior... Something happened. I remember the day I got saved. I grew up in a pastor's home, and I'll be real frank with you. I remember sitting for 12, 12 and a half, 13 years, sitting over here about where Miss Evelyn is in our auditorium, listening to my dad preach. And I'll be honest, for about 12 years, I endured his preaching. It was something that when it was time to go to church on Sunday, we never discussed it at our house. We just were expected to go. Amen. That was a good thing. And uh, we were just expected to go. We didn't get up in the morning and say, well, do you feel like going to church today? We just knew it was church day. And if we were sick, Mom said, throw up and prove it. <laughs> and if we didn't throw up, we went to church. And if we did throw up, she said, now don't you feel better? Now let's go to church. 
I heard that from somebody else. That wasn't mine original. But I will tell you this. Um, that's about the way it was. And I remember sitting there, and I endured church. I'd look at my watch and be like, boy, I can't wait till this is over. I can go play with my friends. I didn't listen to a thing my dad said for years because I endured it. But I'll tell you this. When I got saved, something changed. All of a sudden, my dad, I mean, in one week, my dad got to be a great preacher. I don't know what happened to him. I mean, I sat there in church and I thought, this is good. There is something there and it's something that is helping me in my life. Now, I'm going to tell you, there have been times in my life that I've been on fire for God and God has done some great things. And there's been some times, I'll be real frank, where I've gotten away from the Lord and I've been cold and I feel like my relationship and my walk with Him was not what it should be. And I'll tell you this, there's a great battle on going into my life. And, and, and I'll, be, I'll be as transparent as I can. I'm a pastor of a church. This battle goes on in my life just like it does yours. I was talking to Brent, I think it was yesterday. I said, you know, there's no difference in that. God doesn't give pastors special dispensation where all of a sudden you don't have to battle the flesh anymore. You don't have to battle the weaknesses. There is a, a, a living, a very vital battle that goes on. And it goes on in all of our lives. It's a battle that Paul faced. It's a battle that everyone in Scripture that I read of faced. And the battle is between this, the law of sin and death that we used to be under, or the law of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And the two are contrary. The Bible says the one to the other. You cannot mix them. By the way, churches that start to bring in the carnality of the world into the spiritual place and try to mix those two, I'll tell you this right now, you ought to have no part in them. They are contrary, the one to the other. They are at enmity, the Bible says. You know what enmity means? That means they hate each other. They fight each other. They're going to do everything they can to oppose each other. Satan has never been hand-in-hand with God since his fall in the area of God's work. God has never been hand-in-hand with Satan in His work. They are diametrically opposed. There is a law that works in our flesh, and there is a law that works in our spirit. Paul speaks of this. (coughs) And he says in verse number 21, I find in the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He calls himself a wretched man. Oh, wretched man that I am. Verse 24. Who shall deliver me from the body? Not the Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's interesting. This law that battles. You know, the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And can I tell you this? We are involved in a spiritual battle every day of our lives. Something that can't be seen. I, I, if I want to wrestle and I get my son and I say, Jonathan, come on, we're going to wrestle. I've got a target. I, I know my enemy. I can see him. I know his weaknesses and I can fight and, re- and wrestle with him. But can I tell you this? Sometimes when it comes to spiritual things, we're not as well prepared for those, are we? says in verse 23, he says, But I see another law in my members. I'm glad it's not just the one. He said, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Notice verse 25. I thank God 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. How am I going to overcome this? This battle that we face every day, the battle of the carnality of life. It's appealing to us, isn't it? Satan is shrewd. He makes it look good. He takes the things of this world and he makes them look really appealing to us. I may, I may make somebody mad here, but I want to show you just some of the difference here. My intent is not to make you mad. I hope you know my heart today that I am here because I am no different than you. I battle the same things you do. And we want to come to God's Word and we want to find things that will be a help to us in these things. I was reading a number of years ago an article about swimwear and swim attire. It was written back in, I think it was the early or mid-1800s, if I remember correctly. It may have been a little earlier than that. And um, they were talking about how the swim attire had changed over the years and how that they now show more than the ankle and how wicked and ungodly it was that they had brought the level of covering in swimwear to the knees. How, how this was such a travesty, how it was immoral, and, and how it provoked lustful thoughts and fleshly thoughts. And I began reading this, this, this phrase and reading it as a couple paragraphs as they, this, this author had spelled out the vulgarity of the change in swimwear over the years. And how that just coming up to the knee was so vile and so difficult of a thing and caused so many people to be lustful in their thoughts and to have sin in their lives. And at the end of the paragraph, he said, And such is the swimwear of the men. Look where we are today. Christians have become comfortable with the vulgarity and the carnality of the flesh. We have continued to digress, and while we have remained separated from the world, we have moved. We live in a world where even Christian people are condoning and, and contributing to the decline of moral society. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know that I contribute to it. If we're accepting of it, we are. If we're not standing up and saying there's got to be a line drawn somewhere, and it needs to be in a pure place, it needs to be in a holy place, it needs to be in a place that is put there in my heart by the Holy Spirit of God. Because as we get to verse number 23, uh, verse number 25, Paul makes this statement. He says, I thank God through Christ Je- uh, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, notice this, I myself <coughs> serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul says this, he says, I've purposed some things, I, I've, I've put some things in place. And he goes on to say, as we get into chapter number 8, Therefore... There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Notice this. Who walk not after the what? Flesh, but after the Spirit. You know where we are condemned? Not only are we condemned by the fact that God looks down and says that is wrong and that is sinful to us, but we're also condemned by the world in our testimony. We're condemned when we walk after the flesh. Paul says it this way, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Notice this, For the law of the Spirit of life 
in Christ Jesus hath made me what? What's the next word there? Free from the law of what? Sin and death. We have a, we have a battle. We have a war going on. Two laws. There's a law of sin and death. There's a law of the flesh. There's a law of temptation. There's a law of carnality, if you will. And then there's the law of walking in the Spirit. Can I encourage you in this? We battle that every day. You battle it. I battle it. The president of our country battles it. Every preacher that stands in a pulpit battles it. Every school teacher, every parent, every child battles this every day. There is a struggle there. There is an innate nature in man. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. He said, what about people who don't ever get a chance to hear with their ears the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I tell you this? There is a desire in the heart of every man from the point of birth to seek God. It happens. And for them to get into their adulthood years and say, I've never had a desire to seek God. It wasn't there. It was there when you were a kid. I promise you that. There's a draw in our hearts to Him. There's a battle that goes on. A battle between the law of sin and death, carnality in our lives, the flesh, the law of the Spirit. Notice what he says as we get to chapter 8, verse number 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be what? Fulfilled in us. Why did Christ come? To save us from our sin? To redeem us? To give us a home in heaven for all of eternity? Yes. Why else did He come? That the righteousness of the law could be fulfilled in us. I've heard people say, well, I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven and I can live however I want. God knows my heart. Can I tell you this? Christ came and died on a cross not just for your sin and forgiveness of it, but to give us victory over sin. To give us victory over the flesh. He says this, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Notice verse number 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot. Do you see that word? Cannot. They're unable to. They that walk in the flesh, or they that are in the flesh, cannot, what? Please God. You cannot. And, and, and you say, Brother Greg, this is your opinion. No, this is Bible. If you're going to get mad at somebody today, I'm not here to make you mad. You can get mad at God's Word, because this is the one that's saying this. Notice what it says here. So that they that are in the flesh cannot, cannot, not able to. They are not able to do it. They cannot please God. For us to say, I can live how I want, and I love God, we are contradicting myself, ourselves in that. It cannot happen. There has to be that desire, that longing to say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord, He's going to deliver me. He's not going to allow me to continue to walk in the carnal lifestyle I once was in and be pleasing to Him. The two cannot happen. Not may not, not might not. The Bible says cannot. I cannot continue in sin. 
look back in Romans chapter 6 for just a moment. Actually, we're going to go back to verse number, chapter 5 and verse number 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, notice this, grace did much more abound. And boy, we all say amen to that, aren't we? Boy, I thank the Lord that His grace is greater than my sin. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? <coughs> shall we continue in sin? We who? Those of us that have tasted of the grace of God. Those of us that have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound so that grace can continue to abound more and more to us? There were people in Paul's day that thought this. They thought if, if, if grace is greater than my sin, then the more I sin, the more grace I get. Can I encourage you in this that we cannot live in carnality and expect to please God? It does not happen. I, I hope and pray that Keith and Highest Baptist Church will remain a church that takes a stand against carnality. I'm not trying to get mad or mean at people that, that live a certain way. We love them and we want to see them change and we want to see them come to Christ and we want to see God do a transforming work in their heart and they are welcome at our church, but we are not going to bring the carnality of the world into this church. Why? Because it cannot please God. I wish and pray that it would be the desire and the commitment of every person here from the pastor down to say not only are we not going to let carnality come into this church, but I am not going to let the carnality come into my life. Because just as true as it is that this church cannot please God with carnality, neither can you and I. If you have your Bibles handy, turn back with me to Daniel. Daniel chapter number 1. Daniel was one of the princes, one of the young man of the affluent families, the well-educated men in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, who was conquering the known world under the Babylonian Empire at the time, came and conquered Jerusalem. They set siege to it and they carried off in the first captivity all of the wealthy and affluent and well-educated young men. The Babylonian Empire was notorious for this. They oftentimes would take those that were most educated and most wealthy and they would bring them into the king's court. And rather than kill them, they would learn from them. The Babylonian Empire became a wealth of knowledge and uh, a wealth of, of uh, everything that the best of the, the, the countries that they conquered. They brought some young men into captivity, Daniel and his, his three friends, uh, Hanani, Azariah, and Mishael. Uh, he brings them into their court. And look with me, if you will, in verse number 5. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. And so the idea was, let's fatten them up. Let's make them look good. They've been under siege for a while. Uh, they probably have wasted away for a little bit, uh, being hungry. So we're going to make sure that when they come and are presented to the king that they look their best, that they are trained and, and well uh, uh, knowledgeable of the etiquette uh, of approaching the king, and they were doing all of these types of things. 
Verse number 6, Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and Hananiah of Shadrach, of Mishael of Meshach, and Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel, notice this, purposed in his heart that he would not, what? Defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Can I tell you this? You can go ahead and read through the rest of the story of Daniel. And you will find that God was well pleased. God used Daniel and raised him in authority under the king's leadership. And God put favor upon him and blessed him. And I look at the blessings of God on Daniel, and I believe with all of my heart that it is stemming from the fact that he purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. Now follow me for a minute. This is a young man, more than likely late teens, early 20s perhaps at this time. Very young fellow. He's away from mom and dad and all the rules that mom and dad set on him. He's away from... <clears throat> the leadership of the priest in the temple and all of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He's away from that. He's away from the accountability. And Daniel could do like all of the other men that had been carried into captivity and just say, you know what? Whoo! No longer under those rules. I can do what I want. But not Daniel. Daniel understood the principle that Paul states very clearly in the New Testament. And that is, if I follow after the carnality of this world, if I try to live that way, I cannot please God. And my desire is to please God. I want to please Him. Let's go back, if you will, to Romans chapter number 7. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Let's look, if you will, in verse number 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The sinful flesh is at enmity. It is at war with God. And notice verse number 9. But ye, again, speaking here of those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God, notice this, what? Dwell in you. Paul's the one that's writing this. Paul is the one that said this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? You are bought with a price. But ye are not in the flesh, verse 9, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit 
that dwelleth in you. We've got a choice. We're at a crossroads. God gives us this thing called free will. We get to choose for ourselves. Mom and Dad can't choose it for us. Your pastor can't choose it for you. Your Sunday school teacher can't choose it for you. Your spouse can't choose it for you. These are things that are very, very critical for us to understand. That every man must make his own choice. We've got a choice to make. We're at a crossroads. I wonder often... If I were put in situations such as Daniel, what would my choice be? If I was given absolute free will to choose whichever I want, I wonder what my choice would be. When I wonder those things, I don't have to look very far. All I have to look at is what is important in my life. Am I following after the things of the world? Am I allowing the world to draw my heart, to entice me, to cause me to do things that the world is doing? The Bible tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We've got a choice to make. Paul understood it. And I'll tell you this. It's going to be something that we don't make today and then never have to deal with it again. It's a choice we're going to have to make every moment of every day, a conscious decision. Paul worded it this way in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That means we are to live in a sacrificial state all the time. Lord, not my will but Thy will. I want what You want for my life, not what I want for my life. Paul understood the battle very well. I look at Paul and I think, man, what a great Christian. And I often look at my life and say, boy, I wish I could be like Paul. And yet Paul, as great a Christian as he was, got to the end of his ministry. He's getting ready to die. And he writes, there's this, there's this law I find. I want to do what's right. I find myself not doing it. I, I want to stay away from doing things that are wrong, and yet I still find myself doing it. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me? You and I have a choice to make. I would encourage you in this, that we purpose in our hearts. Lord, I want to live a life that is not defiled by the worldliness of this world. I want to live a life that is holy and pleasing to You. And then we have to say, Lord, I've got to have Your help. Because the truth is, my old flesh nature is still strong. It still pulls at me. It still wars with me. It still is at enmity with my spirit. Lord, I've got to have Your help. If you will, look with me in Hebrews chapter number 12 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll be done. <clears throat> he just got done, writer of Hebrews just gets done, giving example after example of men and women who were men and women of faith. Men and women who stood the test. 
when, when the when the flesh was pulling at them, they by faith did what was right. I don't know about you, but my heart gets stirred when I read chapter 11 of Hebrews. I get excited. By the end of the chapter, I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm just like, if they can do it, I can do it. The writer of Hebrews talks about all of these, and he gets to the the, the next portion of Scripture in chapter 12, and he says, Wherefore, meaning in light of all that we just spoke of in chapter 11, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, notice this, and the sin which doth so what? Easily beset us. Let's lay it aside. What is he saying? Purpose in your heart. Make a decision. Lord, I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live pleasing. I'm going to live right. When men and women see you in in public, they ought to notice a difference about you. You ought not be like the world. You ought not to be like the people they know. There There ought to be integrity. There ought to be character there. There ought, to be, there ought to be a standard of, of appearance and a, a standard of attitude and a standard of, of uh, our, uh, our actions that is above reproach. And when people look at us, they say, there's somebody who has, has a, a great God that has done a transforming work in their life and caused them to take a stand. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And again, the writer of Hebrews here is contrasting the flesh and the Spirit. Laying aside the sin and the weights that does so easily beset us and running with patience the race that is set before us. That's walking in the Spirit. How am I going to accomplish this? If the flesh is sitting there warring, and even Paul in, in all of his character, in all of his spirituality, if even Paul got to the end of his life and said, Oh, wretched man that I am. How in the world do I think I'm going to accomplish this? The writer of Hebrews tells us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I can't do it. If I, if I try to rely on my will, I will not succeed. I've got to make a decision, Lord, I need Your help. I, I need to know Your heart. I need to know Your mind. I need to know what You would want me to do. By the way, can I help you with something? There's only one way to know the heart and the mind of God, and that is to walk with Him. To spend time in His Word. To spend time in prayer. And can I encourage you in something? The more time we spend in prayer, and the more time we spend in His Word, the closer we get to Him. The more strength we have to do His will. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How am I going to accomplish that, Pastor? I... I've struggled. I've tried. I've got things in my life I've tried to get victory over. I've tried to deal with. I just can't seem to ever get a hold on it. It just keeps recurring. Those sins, those weights that just so easily beset me. How in the world do I do this? By looking unto Jesus. Saying, Lord, I cannot. I cannot battle these things, but You can. You can strengthen me. You can help me. 
I think that all that God is waiting for, if I understand my Bible correctly, all that God is waiting for to help us with those things is our decision to say, Lord, I want to walk in a way that is pleasing to You. I want a purpose in my heart, Lord, that I am not going to walk after the flesh. I want to walk after the Spirit. But if I do that, I've got to have Your help. I believe that's all God is waiting for in every one of our lives. We didn't just get saved, and Christ didn't just come to this earth just to save us. He came that the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in us. That there would be a, a sanctification work. There would be a cleansing work. For a Christian to walk around and content living a carnal life is to reject the law of the Spirit to reject His indwelling, to reject His leading in our lives, and to say, I do not want to please God. You say, well, I think I can please God and do that. No, the Bible says you can't. Brother Greg doesn't say that. The Bible says that. We cannot please God. Not if we're following after the flesh. Can I encourage you in this? Some of us in this day and age need to make a decision, a commitment to God. I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. I'm talking about a heartfelt transformation of the will. Saying, Lord, I want to commit these things. I want to purpose these things in my life. And I'll be real honest with you. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you're going to have to do it again. And probably before lunchtime tomorrow, you're going to have to do it again. And God will help us to do it. Are we willing to make that kind of a commitment? We live in a day where we enjoy our ease, we enjoy our comfort, we enjoy our life. We don't like change. To make a commitment like this is to say, Lord, it's going to change me and I know it. But I'm willing to make the commitment anyway. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say, Lord, I don't want to walk after the flesh, I want to walk after the Spirit. I want, to, I want to make sure that I am doing all that I can to be pleasing to you. This is what a Christian ought to be doing. It, it ought to be the norm of the Christian life. It ought just be the heart's desire of a Christian. Someone who's trusted Christ as their Savior ought to have that pull, that desire for those things. Oh, that we would learn to do this. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I pray that you would bless the message this morning. Lord, a, a message that is a difficult one sometimes to listen to and to hear, but Lord, one that is needful still. We're living in such a day where so much carnality, so much worldliness has found its way, not only into our, our churches, but Lord, even into our own personal lives. We tolerate and we put up with things that are so wicked and unholy and ungodly, and we do not take a stand against them. We do not, we do not purpose in our hearts that we are not going to defile ourselves with them. And Lord, we're comfortable with them in our lives and we've gotten that way and we've grown callous to them. And Lord, from time to time, we need to be reminded from Your Word and shown that these things ought not be so. These things ought to be something so foreign to a Christian. We would purpose in our hearts to live holy and pleasing lives to You. But Father, bless the invitation. And Lord, while the message has been primarily for those that are saved, if there is anyone here today that does not know You as their Savior, if they were to die today, they would not know if they would go to heaven. I pray that they would get that matter settled. 
that they would put their faith in You today to trust You to save them from their sin. Not their works, not their church membership, not their baptism. But they would trust You and You alone for their salvation. Lord, bless the invitation. Use it as You would see fit. In Jesus' name, Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We'll have Miss Evelyn, if she would, play through just a verse or two of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, would you come? You're welcome to come to an altar and pray if you'd like, or if you need to pray in your seat, that's fine. Whatever God has laid on your heart, would you respond to it appropriately? Oftentimes, we don't like to have our hearts pricked. We don't like to have conviction, but it's so needful oftentimes. Would you come as she begins to play the piano? Father, as we dismiss in prayer, I pray that you would help us to lead with the messages upon our hearts. Bless the time of food and fellowship and the time of refreshment. 
And Father, I pray that you'd bless those that are not able to be with us today, and we'll bring them back to us soon. Pray that you'll dismiss us now with your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.